Welcome to Navigating Your Child's Education, a podcast for parents, grandparents, and anyone raising or influencing young people. I'm your host, Laura. On this episode, we have special guest, Dr. Mike Hayes. Dr. Hayes is the Vice President of Student Development at Lee University in Southeast Tennessee. He has worked with college students for nearly 30 years as a counselor, professor, leadership mentor, and much more. Welcome, Dr. Hayes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. I appreciate the opportunity. Now, I'd love to for you to tell us a little bit about how you got involved in working with college students and uh, what that looks like for you and how you engage with them now. Sure. So uh, back in the mid-90s, I was working at the local mental health center. And part of my job there was to do in-home family therapy with kids who were at risk of being placed in state custody. So if they were going to be placed in state custody, they would be going to a mental health facility, into foster care, or into a youth detention facility. So at that time, that's, that's really when I uh, began my work working with adolescents. And then I moved through various roles there at the local community mental health center. And then in the mid-90s, uh, transferred to Lee into our counseling office here at the university. And since then, I've been working with college students in numerous regards, but always at the heart of that has been working with them about who they are and specifically who they are in Christ and what that might mean to them specifically in terms of their emotional wellness. And I know this is a big question, but as a counselor and professor of psychology and leadership, what trends would you say you've observed in college students over the last 27 years? Let me start specifically with uh, referring to some, some literature. So we actually give maybe some, some credibility to everything that we're talking about here from uh, actually a, a peer refereed article. The Journal of Abnormal Psychology a few years ago did an analysis of freshman students around the world to determine the level of mental health concern with those students. So it's not something that was specific to the United States uh, nor was it something that was specific to some other country. But they sampled freshman students from universities around the world. And what they found was that nearly one in three freshman students at college had a diagnosable mental illness. Now, it's not a perfect research design. No research design is perfect. But what they did is they tried to get to the bottom of what was really going on with students and maybe why they were bringing these things into college with them. And part of what's happened, I think, over the past two years is you've seen uh, so many of those struggles exacerbated or made more difficult by COVID. So for me, there are plenty of professional resources saying loads about what college students are struggling with. So those things don't start when students come to college. Obviously, they're things that have been going on before they got to college. Now, from a personal and anecdotal perspective, what I've seen from college students over the past 27 years has been something that didn't just start 27 years ago, but uh, really part of the core of the adolescent experience is trying to come to terms with answering the question of who am I? What is my identity? And oftentimes uh, in that identity journey, students have a lot of really deep questions and they struggle through a sense of self-evaluation, self-worth. Uh, and as we know, unfortunately, with uh, a lot of kids, they get caught on the comparison treadmill. And uh, I think social media has intensified that a good bit 
over the past decade or so. So again, for me, what I've seen is something that college students have always brought with them in this identity quest. But I do think that there are specific things that have made it more difficult for our students now. And again, if I could pinpoint two things very recently, one a little longer ago, social media and its impact, a lot of good research there. But secondly, and again, uh, right now, still, this lingering pandemic that has brought with it many struggles for our students, but also, let's be honest, for a lot of adults as well. Hmm. Hmm. And how have you seen the effects of the pandemic manifest in students? What is that looking like these days? Uh, I think what you're seeing is students are having a difficult time trying to figure out what they're supposed to do. Uh, I think a lot of us are actually struggling with answering the question, what are we supposed to do? So many of us recall, obviously, uh, in the March uh, 2020 uh, timeframe, you know, kind of the world shut down in some ways, and we all were trying to do our best to you know, stay apart and do whatever uh, uh, we, were, we were asked to do to make sure that we were keeping each other safe. Clearly, uh, a lot of people had a lot of different opinions about that. But I think what I have seen happen is that kids struggle because uh, we are by nature social beings and we need each other. So when you've got kids who are over here trying to figure out, okay, what am I supposed to do? What's the best thing to do? I do care about myself, my friends, my family members. I care about my community, but also this very natural God-given impulse to be together I think oftentimes, you know, when you're caught between these really two polar opposite messages, it's very difficult to navigate to, uh, to navigate those things for all of us, but particularly for someone in their adolescence. So I've seen this, this general difficulty about how am I supposed to navigate all this stuff? And particularly as the thinking has evolved about how we should manage the pandemic and specifically how we should manage aspects of the pandemic, like how do we do school best? Uh, so what's what's lingering, uh, even for us on the college level and what I've seen a lot in high school students specifically, and particularly through my wife's work as an elementary school assistant principal, is what does it mean to come back together in a sense of healthy community? So we're seeing lower levels of participation in things. I think a lot of families are trying to navigate, okay, is this too early? Is it too late? Uh, is this worth the risk? So I think a lot of people are still just kind of unsure and what do we do when we're unsure? A lot of times we, we double think, triple think ourselves. And we oftentimes will kind of pull back into ourselves to protect ourselves. Other, other ways that I've seen people try to navigate this is to work through the effects of isolation. So a lot of kids, you know, uh, were sent to iPads and different types of screens to do education for a number of weeks, months, and maybe even for a couple of years in some instances in parts of the world. So I think a lot of people are trying to figure out, okay, what does, what does life mean? And perhaps some of their parents have never gone back to the office or they've never gone back to their in-person place of employment. So I think our families have been forced to change in a lot of ways. And I know for a lot of churches, it's been very, uh, very difficult to get families back involved. So I think a lot of people are still just really trying to figure that out. So again, if you've got a kid who is bringing emotional struggles into college, all of this trying to figure it out seeks to only compound what they've already been dealing with in some cases for many, many years. So I think what's happening as well as we're trying to figure it out from a spiritual angle, 
how should we, how ought we care for one another? And what does that mean specifically when we have so many differences? I do think it's important to talk about uh, what the New York Times a few weeks ago called the triple pandemic. So we're talking about COVID. We're also talking about a lot of the social and racial unrest, but they identify the third pandemic as mental health issues and struggles, particularly among adolescents. So I think what they were trying to get at is this multi-layered, almost geometric impact of what our, what our kids have had, uh, have had to deal with over the past couple of years. So I think, I think for me, we've got to enter it with a moment of empathy and understand, but again, our kids, and again, us adults, again, who we're kidding, have been working through some really complex issues. Hmm. Now, if your career with college students started in the 90s, I'm going to guess that you have counseled and taught Generation X and Millennials and now Generation Z. Have you noticed any differences in the way they approach or view or talk about mental health intergenerationally? Oh, yeah. So first off, I think it's important to identify that every generation thinks they get it right. So I think it's it's always important to talk about any multi-generational comparison in that way. But what I have seen over the years has been this growing desire to destigmatize mental health concerns and to move away from it being so shame-based and maybe uh, exclusionary to being uh, much more embraced and uh, able to be talked about and not just talked about and not just diminishing the shame, but really encouraging each other to get the types of help that we need and to be open about things. It's actually really interesting uh, what I've seen in the abnormal psychology class that I teach over the past uh, seven years I've talked out. And what we've seen is actually some interesting language from our students saying, uh, maybe there's, there's a little bit of oversharing about our emotional and mental health needs. You know, particularly in terms of people just kind of uh, laying their entire lives out on social media and not understanding the risk that that might bring them. So I think it's important to understand, wow, again, social media comes back into play. And I think that that's had an effect on how the generations have thought about it. But, and, I'm, and I must applaud this, this whole approach at trying to destigmatize mental health and make sure that people aren't isolated with their concerns. It seems like I don't know whether it makes sense that those things go hand in hand or that there's some sort of contrast there. You've talked about the reality of social media, perhaps in some ways negatively affecting this generation's mental health, but also it's a platform for destigmatizing mental health. So what do you make of those? Well, you know, I think it's like almost any other medium that we could talk about. So we could talk talk about the virtues and the evils of podcasts. Uh, in that point, that we're right in the middle of a podcast. Uh, we could talk about television. We could talk about radio. We could talk about film. So any medium can be used for good or for ill. And I think that that we've seen social media be a wonderful vehicle for people to not be so isolated. But on the other hand, we actually have loads of emerging research that would indicate that guess what excessive screen time can lead to and perhaps does lead to 
uh, subsequent mental health concerns. So up until a couple of years ago, there were correlational research designs that say, okay, there's a lot of screen time here, and there seems to be a correlation between screen time and mental health concerns. But over the past couple of years, you've actually been seeing more research that seems to uh, observe a causal link between that excessive screen time and ultimate mental health struggles. So mm -hmm. it's not just that they kind of go hand in hand, but X may cause Y. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where there are significant concerns. Now, let me actually go back and address a question that you asked earlier. And I think that this is one of the great things that our society is going to have to struggle with. What did we ask kids to do when the pandemic hit? We asked them to get behind the screen more. So I think we as a society are going to have to work through, okay, we know that there may be these adverse effects with excessive screen use. And we asked them to basically do the great things like school, church, by screen. So I do wonder what the long-term impacts might be of just trying to navigate that, asking our students to maybe do this in a way that ultimately may wind up having some negative side effects. Hi parents, I just wanna take a minute and let you know about a free guide to paying for a private Christian education. Perhaps you're curious about sending your children to Worthington Christian School, but assume the cost is prohibitive. Before you rule it out, I encourage you to check out worthingtonchristian.com forward slash AffordWC to download a free guide to our financial aid program, 529 accounts, Ohio's Ed Choice Scholarship Program, and more. That's worthingtonchristian.com forward slash AffordWC. Now back to our show. Apart from the both positive and negative influence of social media, what do you think has caused that shift you mentioned in the generational uh, experience that is trying to move towards normalizing, you know, having therapy and talking about mental health issues? I think there's a lot of trauma. Now, I'm not one to say that uh, every time that I stub my toe, that's a traumatic experience. But I do think that a lot of us have a front row seat to trauma. So I'm talking specifically about age-old problems like neglect and abuse. Those are clearly traumatic experiences. But oftentimes, perhaps kids and adolescents and maybe even adults who didn't have to actually experience that personally are now able to experience that more readily through things like social media and through 24-7 access to any story around the world. So I think part of what's happening here is maybe there's this collective sense of trauma. And I do think that when you start talking about the pandemic, there is a collective sense of trauma. Also, I think it's absolutely critical to talk about our lack of ability to have conversations in a civil manner anymore. I think we've actually seen society just kind of disintegrate in a lot of really critical ways. And we just don't know how to, how to have strong opinions and sit down and talk with each other, not at one another, and have great conversations about things that matter to us. So I think the ability to have good conversations and communication has really impacted this in some adverse ways. Given your experience, nearly um, three decades with college students, what wisdom do you share with parents who are at the point of getting ready to send their 
high school graduates off to college for the first time in regards to mental health and taking care of themselves and being aware of when issues arise, how they can address them. One of the most critical decisions that a family will make is where a daughter or son attends college. So instead of focusing on the micro in terms of specific advice that I might give them in terms of, okay, here's kind of the checklist that you might do. One of the broader conversations that I want to have with them is, okay, where are you thinking about sending your daughter or your son to college? Because the environment at that college makes such a critical difference. So for instance, does that college have adequate resources and an environment or sense of community where students feel like they matter? Do they feel like they matter to someone, just at least one individual at that college who can really come alongside them and make a difference in their lives? So for me, I think broadly, it's helping, helping parents and students come to the decision about what type of college they need to go to. So clearly, uh, I'm involved in faith-based education. So whether it's at the college level or the K-12 level, or even in Christian education, specifically in terms of what the church does with educating young kids and adolescents, what types of educational environments are we actually creating and co-creating with these students? So for me, one of the most critical questions that parents need to be asking themselves is what type of college do we think we need to send our daughter and our son to and making sure that those colleges have supportive campus environments. So instead of the broad, where might she or he go to college, some specific bits of advice are, please understand that your student will struggle. And what that means is that you can still come alongside your student, your child, and make sure you encourage them to access the resources that are available at the college to uh, ensure that they're successful as students. So I think that that's really critical. So again, macro, where you send them to college. And then secondly, hey, listen, they're going to struggle. It's just part of the human experience. So the question then becomes, what do we do when they do struggle? Hmm. And then for parents of younger students, high school, middle school, and perhaps even elementary school, what are some words of wisdom you can share when it comes to parenting so that we're not delivering a child to college with undealt with trauma or mental illness that hasn't been diagnosed or mental health needs that haven't been addressed? Yeah, so I think the answer actually is kind of implied by your question. We need to be addressing these things with our kids. And what I mean by that specifically is parents need to make sure that they're having conversations with their kids about their emotional well-being. Again, we know how difficult school is these days. I mean, are there three more cruel years in a kid's life than middle school? Uh, I mean, I mean, it's just a difficult time. It's a difficult season and oftentimes a very difficult environment. So first off, parents have got to be talking with their kids about how they're doing uh, with their emotional and mental health. Also, I think it's really important to normalize it from a faith perspective. And let me uh, address what I mean by that. I think a lot of times uh, people who have grown up in church think that experiencing emotional struggles is somehow a sign of spiritual weakness. Uh, perhaps it's that. I think maybe on rare occasions, 
But for me, I think it's important to understand that the Bible is gut level honest with people who struggle. I mean, in deep places, I mean, prophets asking God, hey, come, please take me out. I can't take this anymore. When you hear King David talking about God, your enemies, you know, kill them and please take me out too while you're at it. I mean, those are really deep, dark human moments. So I think for us as parents and as Christian educational communities, we've got to be talking honestly about just the Bible and how just just gut level honest the Bible is about this holistic struggle. Hey, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if you really want to talk about it, think about Jesus. Think about those moments of struggle for him, like in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, Father, please take this cup from me. And then obviously he chooses to endure such significant pain for all of us. So I think we got to be honest from a faith perspective, specifically a biblical perspective. But listen, the Bible doesn't whitewash this stuff. People dealt with some serious issues and we're going to have to as well. But the Bible is clear about how to address those things. And we've got to address those in healthy community and again, come alongside people to help them grow. What I have found over my years of working with college students and working in the local church with people of all ages is there is a great deal of hope. And let me tell you why I find a great deal of hope, because I do see a greater openness about addressing these types of things. People are afraid to share their wounds. And again, I go back to Isaiah 53, where the Bible talks about Jesus being wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. So again, if we're following Christ like that, then maybe we'll we'll be more open about our own wounds and we can help each other grow through that. So uh, I find it incredibly hopeful when people will come alongside one another, be authentic about how they've struggled and say, guess what? I'm not gonna leave you alone in your struggles. So I've seen that openness just be so significant in the health and healing for people. I think another really critical aspect are there are great resources out there. Uh, again, maybe 20, 30 years ago, it was rare to find helpful resources, but so many great resources out there on the web, uh, in books, in podcasts addressing this. Uh, and while we're at it, let me applaud you for being willing to address this, because guess what? You know, maybe a few years ago, this wasn't so widely talked about. So again, incredible hope because the community is willing to come alongside people in very transparent ways and say, we're not going to leave you alone. And you have lots of great resources out there to help people work through this. Uh, I think at the, uh, at the end of the day, we all, have, we all have to be willing to be honest about, hey, listen, uh, I've experienced some rough times and I want to walk through this with you in a way that won't leave you alone. I think if we'll do that, there is incredible, life-giving, multi-generational hope that will transform lives. A new episode of the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast comes out on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Make sure to like and subscribe so that the latest episode automatically appears in your preferred podcast library.